Welcome back, everyone. This is The Change Log, and I'm your host, Adam Stachowiak. This is episode 168, and we're joined today by Julius Voles from SoundCloud to talk about Prometheus, an open-source service monitoring system written in Go. Super awesome conversation today. I talked about the data model, the query language, and all the in-betweens. We had three awesome sponsors for the show, CodeShip, TopTal, and DigitalOcean. Our first sponsor is CodeShip. They're hosted. Continuous delivery service focusing on speed, security, and customizability. And they've launched a brand new feature called Organizations. Now you can create teams, set permissions for specific team members, and improve collaboration in your continuous delivery workflows. Maintain centralized control over your organization's projects and teams with CodeShip's new organization's plans. You can save 20% off any premium plan you choose for three months by using this code, the Changelaw Podcast. Again, that code is the Changelaw Podcast, and you'll save 20% off any premium plan you choose for three months. Head to codeship.com slash the Changelaw to get started. And now on to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. We got a great show lineup today. One we actually been waiting for for a bit. It was recommended by Peter Bergon. We just talked about him and Go Kid and Go for Con, all that stuff. But Peter was recommending this. Jared, our last uh, guest, was saying that this was their, you know, Prometheus was their tech to play with. So we had to get Julius Voles on the line here. So, Julius, welcome to the show. Hi. Pleasure to be here. And also, we got uh, Jared hanging out in the wings there. Say, what's up, Jared? What's up, Jared? So, Jerry, we, we were at uh, GopherCon not long ago, so we met Julius and also right. Bjorn, who couldn't make this this call, but um, we were excited to finally get a chance to get Prometheus and this conversation talking about um, metrics tracking and stuff like that on this show. So, what's the what's the best way to open this one up? You want to talk about Julius a bit? You want to go right into the tech? Well, first, let me say that uh, you know we kind of did the hallway track at GopherCon, and we were yeah. out interviewing people and talking with everybody, and there was two things people were excited about one was ben johnson who we lined up to come up here pretty soon and the stuff that he's been up to and the other one that everybody was excited about was prometheus yes in fact i think julius you guys even got a shout out during one of the keynotes is that correct yeah we got a bunch of uh, shout outs uh, i think from peter's talk from tomash's talk uh, the keynote so yeah really really exciting very cool so we're excited to hear about it we want to know all the details but i think adam maybe if we start with the history we can kind of see, you know, why Prometheus even exists. You want to start there? Let's let's do that. So, Julius, you've been you've been with SoundCloud for a bit before that. You were with Google. What uh, what was going on to make Prometheus a thing for you? Yeah. So when I was at Google, I was actually doing something completely different. I was in Google's production offline storage systems. So basically, we had many tens of data centers with huge tape libraries backing up all production data that Google had. So basically, exabyte scale backup system globally. Um, So monitoring wasn't really my specialty there, but uh, I definitely came in contact with it as a site reliability engineer on that service. And uh, when I left Google and joined SoundCloud back in 2012... Um, it went as it often goes when Googlers left uh, sound, when, when Googlers left Google 
at around that time especially, they felt a bit naked in terms of uh, what the open source world provided them in, in terms of infrastructure. Um, because at Google, you have like an awesome cluster scheduler. You've got awesome monitoring systems, awesome storage systems, and so on. Suddenly, you get like thrown out into the wild, and you miss all of that stuff. And you've, you feel just this urgent need to be building a lot of that yourself again. Um, But when I joined SoundCloud, um, a month prior to that, another ex-Googler was also joining SoundCloud, Matt Proud, and he felt even more strongly about this. And he was particularly unhappy with the state of open source monitoring systems. So he had actually already in his free time started building um, client libraries for instrumenting services with, with metrics. And, and his, his grand vision was to build a whole monitoring system. So when I joined a month later, um, he kind of pulled me on board and we started building something in our free time that eventually became Prometheus. So just in the first months, uh, end of 2012, that was really just our free time. Uh, finally, we got uh, enough of it working in such a way that we could... Uh, expose data from services, collect it, uh, query it, and maybe you know even show it in a graph. And that was the point when we decided, okay, this is actually going somewhere. Let's give this a name. Let's call it Prometheus. And uh, we like briefly afterwards, we started formally introducing that at SoundCloud. Um, and yeah, nowadays it has become SoundCloud's uh, standard monitoring system and time series database. Now, now deep topic aside, I got to ask the question. Uh, which is one of my favorite movies out there by Ridley Scott is a movie called Prometheus. Mm -hmm. Is there any correlation? I have never watched that movie, actually. Well, we see aliens and, come out of the code at some point. Right. So that, that was actually funny. I think it actually came out around the same time. Okay. But it wasn't really on my radar back then. Um, I think I've, I just briefly had heard about it, but it wasn't really any it wasn't really connected to this okay yeah all right yeah prometheus uh the movie came out in 2012 and i remember loving the name and not loving the movie so much adam so maybe that's a separate show but we could uh, yeah we could go i, I heard a I heard a lot of bad things about that movie. Well, we could pause this for <laughs> a minute and <laughs> rant i mean we could that, just go start another show <laughs> i'm just kidding no. maybe Maybe I should go a bit more into what we had at SoundCloud back then, and uh, because that was kind of the con the the big motivation to to build Prometheus. Well, you said um, you said that you felt naked as a Googler. You felt naked coming out of like Google and some of the things missing. So this was obviously one of those things missing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But but you might ask there 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 were many open source monitoring systems, mm -hmm. right? Why why were we not happy with those? We're asking that question. Um, I like that question. I actually okay, had that cool. question queued up. Yes, you, so. that's the next question. Awesome. Cool. So, I mean, back then, uh, SoundCloud was doing this migration that a lot of companies do, migrating from one monolithic web application to a set of microservices, just because uh, the initial monolithic application has grown too big, too complex. People don't want to maintain it anymore. You can't have independent groups deploying independent things. So SoundCloud, uh, pretty early on, actually, started adopting Go and built their own kind of Heroku-style in-house cluster scheduler uh, called Bazooka. And that's kind of that, that was already a container scheduling system, a very early form. Uh, we're still using that, actually, before, um, before Docker came out, uh, before Kubernetes and so on came out. And uh, the challenge was now that we had these hundreds of microservices running on these Bazooka clusters um, with thousands of instances. And 
developers, whenever they built a new revision, uh, maybe every day even, scaled down the old revision and scaled up the new revisions. And all these instances would land on random hosts and on random ports. And somehow we needed to monitor them. So what we did back then was... Uh, what SoundCloud did back then was uh, use StatsD and Graphite as the main uh, time series-based um, monitoring system. So uh, StatsD and Graphite had several problems. So when I joined, I remember the StatsD server almost falling over because it was a single-threaded node application running on a huge, beefy machine, but it could only use one one core. So it was actually throwing away... UDP packets left and right. I don't know yeah. if you know how StatsD works. Uh, the general working model is that, let's say you have uh, a set of web servers, um, let's say an API server, and you have 100 instances of that. Um, then if you want to count the number of HTTP requests that happen in that uh, entire service, every one of these instances, for every request that they handle, send a UDP packet to StatsD, and StatsD will count from all these 100 instances, will count up all these counter packets from these different instances over usually a 10 seconds interval, and then finally sum them all up uh, and write a single data point out to Graphite at the time. Yeah. Uh, so Graphite is a time series storage system, and StatsD is kind of in front of it to aggregate counter data into a final count per uh, 10 seconds. And um, you, you can do some stuff there, like you can say uh, on the on the service side, please only send every tenth uh, UDP packet or something. So you alleviate the load somewhat. Um, but the the main pattern is here that you're doing the counting in the StatsD side, and um, yeah, that, that StatsD wasn't really scalable. It was throwing away UDP packets. wasn't really working that well anymore. Um, And the other problem was Graphite's inherent data model. So in Graphite, uh, if you store a metric, um, a time series, um, it's only a single metric name with no dimensions. So it has some dots in the middle that allow you to separate components of a metric name. And people use that to encode implicit dimensions. So, uh -huh. for example, you might have a metric named API dot http.get.200 to count the successfully handled get requests of an API server. Mm -hmm. and, and that works, kind of. It doesn't scale too well. Graphite doesn't deal very well with uh, you going wild with these dimensions. Um, it doesn't allow you in the query language to be particularly flexible about how you query for these dimensions. And they're also implicit. So you look at one of these dot-separated components and you can kind of guess what, what it would mean, but you only see the value. You don't see the key usually. Um, another problem there was that um, due to this limited dimensionality, it was really hard to figure out which particular host or which particular service instance um, um, a metric was was coming from. So let's say you have a global latency spike. Um, so if you have these counters over 100 instances, they all get counted into one metric in the end and you don't really see uh, if there's a spike. Was it only in one instance? Was it in all instances? You can't really drill down there anymore. Um, some teams have actually then encoded the instance and the port 
like the, the host and the port of an instance into the metric name, into one of these dot-separated components. But Graphite is not really meant for that, and, and it blew up pretty quickly, so they had to run their own Graphite server, but that is not particularly fun because Graphite is not so fun to run either. Um, so yeah, these were kind of the, the problems we encountered with uh, the StatsD and Graphite combination. That was for service monitoring. Um, so when I say monitoring, actually, I, I kind of mean, I mean, different people mean different things with that. I mean, both time series collection and trending and mm -hmm. alerting. Some people, when they say monitoring, they think of only something like Nagios, uh, only something that uh, alerts people. See, Jared? And what? So, to hear that, Nagios. Uh, oh, how do you pronounce it? We had a the we European had a, take on it. I, I took a took a break there to, to butt in, but pre-call, pre you can mention it, Jared, but uh, he set up some Nagios servers... <laughs> Ah. Um, so anyways, you said Nagios. So Nagios is the way you pronounce well, it. Well, I don't know how to pronounce it. That's just, you know, I used to be a, you know, a network administrator back in the day, uh, and I was the yeah. only one doing it, so you never say it out loud. But I just thought it was Nagios because it nags you all the time. I thought they had a play on words. but That Nag makes so much more sense. But Nagios could be right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. See? That makes sense. There yeah. you go. But yeah, I mean, I think when I think of alerting, I think of something more like that. But you actually say... Service monitoring, you include alerting in that in your definition. Is that what you're saying? I include I include time series collection. I include uh, the graphing. I include the alerting. So mm -hmm. the whole complex of getting metrics from your systems and and acting on it and mm -hmm. notifying someone. Okay. Um, it's it's kind of just a def question of definition, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah. So so we used Nagios Nagios <laughs> back call then. Um, Whatever you like. Yeah. Uh, partially just running completely these stateless checks that you run on a host to see if things are good right now, um, and partially based on graphite-based time series. And um, yeah, that was fine, but Nagios is kind of also from the 90s. Uh, it's, its data yeah. model is very limited. I mean, it knows about hosts and services on those hosts. And if you have something like a cluster-wide check or, or things that just don't fit into that pattern, you kind of have to squeeze them into that pattern. And that sometimes works, sometimes not that great. Um, it's really hard to silence by any arbitrary dimensions uh, in Nagios. So, um, yeah, the, the, the data model there is also a bit painful. The UI, I think we don't even need to talk about. Uh -huh. um, nowadays, we're actually using Isinga, which has a bit better UI. What's but it still, uh, Isinga is... Uh, basically a drop-in replacement for Nagios. Huh. So you just, it uses the same database. I don't think you have to change much. It's just kind of a new UI. And it, I think it has a bit of a different, uh, more scalable mechanism for executing checks. Um, but I'm not really an expert in, in, in that area. Um, yeah, so for that was for service monitoring. And for host monitoring, we had Ganglia. And Ganglia is pretty much completely, you know, you have the host as a, dimensional key there but not much else of course also the metric name but there's no query language there's no nice graphing interface and so on you get these pretty static dashboards with host metrics and um, yeah so we used also Nagios of course for for the host uh, alerting then um, this yeah might so be, this might be a, pre a little bit premature but I just went to the Nagios and we're all going to say it different ways by the way uh, mm -hmm. Nagios 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 <laughs> Um, they say they're the industry standard for IT infrastructure monitoring. What is the goal or what was the goal with Prometheus? Was it to, you know, redo what everyone had been doing not quite so well because you have opinions? 
and you know obviously some some skills to do it but was it the, is it the goal to sort of unseat some of these existing players or is it to just sort of like rebuild something new that that made sense for soundcloud uh yeah definitely so uh for us it was the goal to replace statsdy to replace graphite to replace nagios in the end with a new kind of ecosystem that is Uh, more powerful and more integrated and uh, allows you to do more stuff in a more modern way. Um, so, yeah, definitely. We, we hope to make people depend less on those uh, old tools, I would say. So we, we kind of sometimes jokingly call it a next-generation monitoring system. And it, it does try to cover all the aspects from instrumenting your services, collecting the data, um, showing the data in a dashboard, uh, alerting on the data if something is wrong, and, and then sending those notifications to you. So yeah, it tries to cover basically the whole field. Um, what it does not do is event-based monitoring. So if you, if you want to do per-account, uh, per-request per accounting, let's say, you, you want to uh, really collect every individual event, you know, a use case like logging or a use case like um, uh, Elasticsearch where you can really put every individual record of what happened in there. That's not really what we're trying to do. Uh, Prometheus is really in the business of collecting purely numeric time series that have a metric name and a set of key value dimensions. And those, the metric name and the key value dimensions uh, uniquely identify every series and that you can then actually use together with a query language to do really powerful queries, to aggregate and slice and dice uh, based on whatever dimension you're currently interested in during the query, actually. And, yeah. So you started building this in your free time, or your, you and your buddy started mm -hmm. building it. I'm curious, just kind of the, the inner workings of SoundCloud, where they're at with open source, and how much freedom they give you as an engineer. Was this something that you had to sell to your boss or to the company or was it just like well we're doing this now and whatever you guys think is the best solution must be right yeah so this was definitely an interesting history uh, i think at the beginning we just took uh, the liberty ourselves to do that in our free time mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of resistance at the beginning to introduce that at soundcloud which totally makes sense to me especially in retrospect because to be honest at the beginning nothing was really working it was i mean late 2012, early 2013. Um, the, the main server was pretty immature. It wasn't really performing well. There, a lot of e ecosystem components were missing. Um, and there was no real dashboarding solution yet and so on. But like as time went on, we just kind of, you know, we, I think we, we, took, we took quite some liberties there um, in just pushing this project on. And uh, it became better and better. And I would say like probably one and a half years in, we had the main server that collects the time series and makes them queryable. We had that pretty mature and stable. Um, we had uh, PromDash, which is the Prometheus dashboard builder. So finally, people were actually able to build uh, dashboards on top of the data that they collected. And we also had uh, one of our really first killer use cases where we got... Uh, instrumentation about all the containers that were running on Bazooka, our in-house Heroku system. So uh, you, could, you could get for every application revision and proc type uh, keyed by those dimensions and more actually uh, the current CPU usage, the memory usage, the memory limit, and so on and so on. 
And that really started convincing people that this was really worth it. And then I think that was kind of the tipping point where shortly after um, the strategic bet was made in, in SoundCloud to, to really switch to that. Yeah. And in terms of open sourcing, that was interesting because we, when we started this uh, initially, we just put it up on GitHub without asking anyone on its own organization. And um, so it's kind of a weird status, I guess. Um, it was a private project. It's still arguably, I mean, it was definitely started in, in, in the free time. Matt even started before he joined SoundCloud. And um, we've been trying since then to keep it as independent as possible from any single company. So we really want this to be an open community project without you know one company controlling too much of the direction and so on mm. um and uh before so we, we 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 put it on github back then but we really didn't make any noise about it so we only told a couple of friends uh especially also other ex-googlers because so we i guess i have to say prometheus is kind of inspired by a lot of what we learned about monitoring at Google. And a lot of people who quit Google then asked, either asked us, hey, do you know anything similar? Or they just discovered Prometheus and kind of noticed that it was very similar to what they've been used to. So before we even you know, went more public about Prometheus, we had a kind of an insider circle of people using it, testing it. Already at uh, one of our ex-colleagues from SoundCloud, who then went to Docker, he started using it at Docker. And another colleague used it at Box Ever, which is a Dublin-based company. And uh, so he, he is in Dublin. And um, in terms of open sourcing, so it was open source, but only in the beginning of this year, for the record, since it's a podcast, uh, this year is 2015. Uh, in January, we decided, okay, it's finally, it's really ready enough to share with a broader audience. So um, just leading up to that, we had a lot of discussions with you know internal departments about how we should communicate this and what's the legal mm -hmm. status around that. In the end, everything was pretty relaxed. And we had, uh, you know, blog posts on the SoundCloud backstage blog and on Box Ever's blog, and uh, I think on my Docker colleagues' uh, private blog back then. Mm. And yeah, and and then it really took off, and um, that was. So then. it took some work then, though. It took some commitment from you and Matt and others that were sort of seeing the yeah. light of where this can go, just, and then. I was gonna say, did you just Definitely. run it concurrently alongside your stats D stuff until it showed its value, and then you were able to eventually cut over or are you still running your stats d stuff as well um so yeah that that's what we did and uh stats d is still running because you know you never turn off old systems in practice <laughs> but um uh practically nobody's using that anymore very mm -hmm. few people are using that so if you're building a new service at soundcloud it's it's going to use prometheus um there's some uh legacy stuff on stats d and graphite still and there's some stuff that was hard to convert but uh yeah, for the most part, it's all Prometheus now. And yeah, it's it's been really a ride, especially since uh, being more, more vocal about it beginning of the year. Um, we've really, I mean, the community has grown crazily. Uh, we have contributors from all kinds of companies. Um, we get a lot of contributions. Basically, we get contributions almost every day, if not multiple. Um, I think Google is now... Uh, Google's Kubernetes is now natively instrumented with Prometheus metrics. So if you want to monitor Kubernetes, uh, you don't even need to have kind of any kind of adapter to get Prometheus metrics out of there. Um, 
You have CoreOS adopting it quite a lot for their components. So etcd is one notable mention there that is already um, sprinkled with Prometheus metrics. Um, then you have DigitalOcean completely adopting it for their internal monitoring right now. Um, I don't know how much I can say about that, but uh, I think these are the three companies where they're like reasonably public about what they're doing with, uh -huh. with Prometheus. I know of a bunch more, but uh, I, I'm not sure, you know, how much you can say about those. Sure. Well, there's definitely tons of details that any system that looks to replace a handful of legacy systems um, will have many moving parts. And you have an architecture, you have a data model, there's a query language, there's lots of details. We want to ask you about all of them. First, mm -hmm. we're going to take a quick sponsor break, uh, hear a word from our awesome sponsor, and then we will be back with all the uh, nitty-gritty details of Prometheus. Be right back. TopTile is by far the best place to work as a freelance software developer. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Brendan Beneshot, the co-founder and COO of TopTile, and I asked Brendan to share some details about the foundation of TopTile, what makes TopTile different, and what makes their network of elite engineers so strong. Take a listen. I mean, I'm one of the co-founders, and I'm an engineer. Um, I studied chemical engineering, and to pay for this super expensive degree, I was freelancing as a software developer. Then by the time I finished, realized that being a software developer was pretty awesome, and so I kept doing that. And my co-founder is in a similar situation as well, and so... We wanted to solve a problem as engineers and do it from as a network of engineers, kind of for engineers, by engineers. And having that perspective and, and consistently bringing on new team members who also share this really makes TopTel different in that it's a network of engineers, not kind of like you have TopTel and then the developers. It's never about us and them. It's, it's always us. Like everybody at TopTel for the most part, refers to TopTel as their company and they feel like it's their company and everybody acts like a core team member even though they're freelancers within the TopTel network. And all of these things are extremely important to us. All right, if you're interested in learning more about what TopTel is all about, head to toptel.com slash developers. That's T-O-P-T-A-L dot com slash developers to learn more and make sure you tell them the changelog sent you. All right, we are back talking to Julius Bowles about Prometheus, the data monitoring uh, system out of, well, kind of out of SoundCloud, maintained by some SoundCloud people, used by SoundCloud and others, and really uh, making a name for itself in the industry. Julius, we want to talk to you about um, the details of Prometheus. You talked about some of the problems that you guys have run up against in different systems, and you obviously look to um, solve those problems with Prometheus. So maybe uh, take us through the high-level points, and we'll dig down as we find them interesting, starting with the architecture. I know it's kind of hard without visualizations, but if you could lay it out in words, what are all the moving parts and how do they fit together? Sure. Um, I actually have the advantage that I have the architecture diagram in front of me. There you but go. If, if you, as a podcast uh, listener, also want to view it, head over to Prometheus.io and scroll down in the overview section. So <laughs> um, I think the heart of Prometheus is the Prometheus server, which is really you run one or multiple of those in your company and you configure it to scrape targets. So basically services that you're interested in. Um, Prometheus is kind of... Um, believes in the church of pull. That means it pulls data rather than having data sent to it. And uh, actually, we should really go into why yeah. 
we decided to do that because that's yes. an interesting religious kind of point. Um, but let's do that later, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so you configure that server to scrape your services. And these services are can, can be one of three different things. So it could either be your own service that you can instrument with one of our client libraries. And the client libraries allow you to expose things such as counter metrics, um, gauges, histograms and summaries the latter two are kind of hybrid metric types that give you either you know like bucketed histograms or quantiles um, and uh, so so the client libraries give you programming language objects that allow you to track counter state and so on and then also expose it over http and uh, Prometheus server, the Prometheus server then comes by regularly, usually every 15, 30 or one minute or whatever you configure and scrapes that endpoint, gets the, only the current state of the metric. So there's no history in the client, hmm. but only gets the current state. So let's say for a counter, it would just get how many requests have happened since this service instance started. And the counters never reset. So you could have uh, two totally independent Prometheus servers scraping the same target and getting the identical data. Um, and so Prometheus does that, stores these metrics locally in a local storage. Um, I should say that currently we only really, for, for the querying, um, we only really have a local on-disk storage. Our goal was to have single server nodes which are uh, completely uh, independent of any other thing on the network when you you know when when uh, things really go awry and you need to uh, figure out what's going on during an outage um, you really can go to that one server and look at your metrics without having to depend on you know complex distributed backend storage and so on we do have support for writing to uh, experimental support for writing to OpenTSDB and InfluxDB at the moment, but it's not possible yet to read back from those through Prometheus via Prometheus's query language. So you, if you want to get data out of those again, currently you would still have to then head to those other systems. But that's on the long-term roadmap. We definitely want to have like a long-term storage that is uh, read that, that, that we can read back from. Uh, the local storage is good for you know, a couple of weeks or maybe even months, maybe longer, depending on how much data you have, but it's not really meant as a forever storage. So, yeah, well, so that's, that's just that's a simplicity decision just, just because you guys want it to be simple. Um, yeah, on one hand, it's much simpler to implement, of course, than a distributed system. And we also believe that through the simplicity, hopefully, you'll get more reliable more reliability out of this uh, in the end. So if if let's say you wanted to have um HA high availability, you would simply run two identically configured Prometheus servers scraping exactly the same data and if one goes down, you still have the other one to go to, but they're uh, not clustered. So they're completely independent of each other mm. and if you want to uh, investigate state during an outage, you just need one of them up and you can go to either one and and see what's actually happening. Um, okay, so normally instrumented jobs are one of the three types of things that um, Prometheus can collect data from. But you might also have something like a Linux host machine or uh, HA proxy or Nginx, uh, things that you cannot easily at least instrument directly. You probably wouldn't want to go into the Linux kernel and build a module that exports uh, Prometheus metrics over HTTP, right? 
So for that, we have a set of export servers, we call them exporters, um, which are just basically, basically uh, little jobs, little uh, binaries that you run close to whatever you're interested in monitoring. And they know how to extract the native metrics from, from that system. So, for example, in the case of the host exporter, it would go to the proc file system and give you a lot of information about the networking and the disks and, and so on and so on. And um, these little exporters then transform what they collect locally into a set of Prometheus metrics, which they again expose on an HTTP endpoint for Prometheus to scrape. And that's how Prometheus can get information from these kinds of systems. And we have a lot of exporters for all kinds of systems there already. Um, finally, the third kind of thing you might want to monitor and which is, can be a challenge is things like batch jobs or things that are just too short-lived to be exposing metrics and to be scraped reliably by Prometheus. Um, so in that case, let's say you have a daily daily batch job which deletes some users or so on and you want to track the last time it ran successfully and how many users it deleted for that we have something called the push gateway which is kind of the glue between the push and the pull world which you're only really supposed to be using when you really have to um, and the batch job could then push at the end of its run usually these metrics the last run and, and the deleted users to that push gateway and the push gateway would simply hold on to those metrics forever and the Prometheus server can then come by and scrape it from the push gateway and yeah so this is kind of the data ingestion side of things um, in the architecture further there so after the data is collected and stored um, we have we can do two interesting things with the data. We can look at it as a human on a dashboard or directly on the Prometheus server. So for dashboarding, we have uh, a couple of solutions. We have PromDash, the Prometheus dashboard builder. It's really kind of a UI-based, uh, click-based dashboard builder, similar to Grafana. Uh, when I started building PromDash, Grafana, to my knowledge, didn't really exist yet or not at all. Um, but it's it's roughly comparable to that. Um, but since then, uh, Grafana now also has experimental uh, Prometheus graphing support. Um, and there's a third visualization option where you can serve dynamic HTML templates directly from the Prometheus server. That's kind of a power user use case where you can build any kinds of HTML-based dashboards, uh, and these templates then have access to the query language of Prometheus. So um, they allow you to build like even the dynamic layouts um, depending on the data that you have in your in your Prometheus instance. Um, so that's visualization, and then the last part that uh, we do in Prometheus is alerting. Um, so. You have collected a lot of data now about all your systems, your hosts, and your services, and now you can actually make use of that data to see if something is wrong somewhere, um, to see if a batch job hasn't run for a while, to see if the request rate of some services are too low or errors are spiking up. And uh, you can actually use the same powerful query language that you can use to display stuff. You can use the same language to formulate alert conditions under which... Uh, people should get notified. And since you might have multiple of these Prometheus servers that 
each compute these alert conditions in the company, you might want to do some correlation between them and alert routing and so on. And that's better done in a central place. So you usually have one or a few alert managers in your company. That's a separate binary again that you run usually once. Um, that all the Prometheuses in your organization send currently firing alerts to. And um, the alert manager then can do things like uh, inhibit one alert if another one is firing. Uh, it knows how to route uh, alerts based on uh, the key value dimensions on the alerts to specific notification configurations to specific teams and so on. And it supports a, a, a range of notification mechanisms like pager duty, email, Slack, and so on. Mm. So that, that's kind of the overall overview over, over Prometheus. Just one question on the visualization side. What's the purpose of having a separate, like the prom dash um, mm -hmm. aspect and then also built-in graphing and querying? Is yeah. one for a certain use case and one's for a different use case? Yeah, definitely. So the built-in graphing is really more useful for ad hoc exploration, mm -hmm. uh, really off data that is in one Prometheus server. And uh, that's good, you know, if even if your prom dash is down and you really just want to see what's happening in one Prometheus server, you can go there. You can do very rudimentary graphing so it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that prom dash has, uh, you know, like stacked, uh, it does have stacked uh, graphs, but it doesn't have like multiple axes, multiple expressions in one graph, different color schemes and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's, it's quite simple, but it allows you in the worst case to still, you know, explore the data uh, in that Prometheus server. And PromDash is really a dashboard builder. So that's for when you really want to persist a dashboard forever and for other people to, to see and to share. And uh, especially, it's, it's very useful, let's say, I think in SoundCloud, we have maybe roughly 50 Prometheus servers. Um, and we have one central PromDash installation, which just knows about all these Prometheus servers. Mm -hmm. And in there, you can then have dashboards or even single graphs where you show uh, you show time series or query expressions from multiple different servers in one graph. Um, so, yeah, it's it's more of this... Nice wall dashboard use case. Yeah. So the alert management would be part of the built-in UI. The configuration of your alerts and stuff would be what you'd use the built-in UI for? Or uh, use for yeah. That? So for, for alerting, that's actually part of that. That's partially in the Prometheus server and partially in the alert manager. Okay. Um, so in the Prometheus server, you can define rules. Um, basically rules that alerting rules that get executed, let's say, every 30 seconds or one minute commonly, uh, depending on what you configure. And what happens there is that it really just executes a query expression and sees if there are any results from that expression. We maybe should go a bit into the how the query language works. Mm -hmm. um, and if there are any results from that expression, they get transformed into labeled alerts and get transferred to the alert manager where they can then be deduped, silenced, rooted, and so on. Um, and this is kind of interesting because this whole labeled key value data model goes all the way from the instrumented services to the storage, to the querying, and all the way to the alert manager. Um, so you really have that chain of, of dimensional information to, to work with uh, at every point in, in, in the chain. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like everything builds off the query language and the query language builds off of the data model. 
Exactly. Yep. So maybe the data model is probably the next place to to dig in and and tell us, you know, what it is, mm -hmm. how it all works, and maybe if that's unique to Prometheus or something you took from somewhere else. Just go into the details on how the actual data is modeled. Sure. Um, so Prometheus stores time series, and time series have a metric name, and they have a set of key value dimensions which we just call labels. Um, so you might have something like a metric name HTTP requests total, which tracks the total number of HTTP requests that have been handled by a certain service instance since it started. And But then you might be interested in drilling down, right? You would want to know which of these are GET requests, uh, which, which uh, path handlers uh, um, have been hit and so on. And for that, you can use the labeled dimensions. So, uh, for example, you might have um, method equals get on there, and you might have uh, status equals 200 for the outcome, and so on. And um, these dimensions then get stored, and they allow you to query time series by these dimensions. So you could say, you know, sum over all the dimensions except the um, status code dimension. Then you would get the total uh, number of requests over all your service instances, but uh, keyed by by the uh, status code. So that dimension would be preserved. Or you could uh, just select a specific dimension. Or um, you can even do... So let's say you have one metric and you have all these kind of sub-dimensional instantiations of that metric. You know, one for method equals get, one for method equals put, and then under these you have, you know, uh, the, the other labeled dimensions. Um, so for one metric name, you actually get a lot of time series with all these different label sets. And um, now if I just query for just the, the metric name, um, I get all these time series back if I don't filter, if I don't aggregate, and so on. Right. And uh, that's actually that can be very useful. So um, let's say uh, on Bazooka, we have a use case where we have one set of these time series just describing for every instance running on Bazooka, um, what is the memory limit? How much memory can it use before the cluster manager kills it, right? And we have another metric called um, uh, basically the, the current memory usage. And... If we just have these two metric names, we can actually, in the query language, just put a minus in between them to subtract uh, the current usage from the limit to get kind of the headroom, you know, the, the, the memory that they can use, still use before they get, would get killed if we wanted to know, like, how well do instances utilize their memory. And what would actually happen if we just put a minus between these two metric names um, is that not only a single number uh, there's not only a single number on the left or a single number on the right, but you have these whole, uh, let's say, vectors of time series on each side of this binary operation, and they get matched on identical label sets. So uh, the usage of one instance is matched with the limit of another instance and so on and so on. And in the end, as the output of the ex expression, you get, uh, again, the current headroom per instance uh, with all the dimensional labels still preserved. And, you know, you can do 
go more fancy than that. You don't need to have an exact match there. There's like several language constructs that allow you to do uh, one to n or n to to one matches and so on, and and specify how exactly to match things. But this kind of vector-based uh, matching algebra, I think, is um, quite unique to Prometheus, at least in the open source world. Yeah. So the you give it a name and then a, a series of labels. And it sounds like the labels, that's what you refer to as the multidimensional uh, aspect because each label you add adds a dimension to that particular time series. Mm-hmm. And then your guys' like built-in querying for that construct is really where it gets... sounds like the flexibility is coming from. Am I following you? Yep, that's totally correct. And maybe one word of warning for the labels. They're really meant to be uh, kind of dimensions but um they're not meant to be of arbitrary cardinality so let's say if you wanted to store uh, a user id of a service with millions of users you probably would not want to use um a label value for that because you would suddenly get millions of time series for this one metric Um, so you really have to be aware of that every combination of labels on a metric creates one new time series automatically. Um, so if you, and these time series are indexed and so on, and, and you know they need to be managed. Um, so if you really want to have that kind of uh, highly, arbitrarily uh, high cardinality dimensional insight, like storing email addresses or storing user IDs and so on, or the content of MySQL queries, um, the actual query string, um, then you you're probably better served with something like you know a, a log based system you know InfluxDB or uh, Elasticsearch uh, mm-hmm. and so on that really can store individual events individual things with arbitrary metadata. Um, yeah. So I can see where the labels might get a little bit where there's better and worse practices with them. Whereas you know with a more just a key value namespacing thing. It's it's pretty easy to just come up with the next name you drill down one dimension. But as you add dimensions, I can see mm-hmm. where it get difficult and, and you're in fact warning against things not to do. Is there a place to go where it's like, hey, what how do how would I do this in a typical situation? Because I think across many organizations, the type of metrics are similar. Do you guys have best practices or things you've learned at SoundCloud, best ways to use Prometheus labels? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so we actually have a whole section on best practices uh, oh, nice. at the very bottom of our website about metric and label naming and how to build good consoles, dashboards and alerting and so on. Um, I think, yeah, one one thing that really just happens sometimes at SoundCloud is that people mistakenly, uh, either by not yet knowing the Prometheus data model well enough or just by making a simple, simple mistake in the code, um, have set some of these label dimensions, let's say, to a track ID or a user ID. And that then creates, you know, millions and millions of time series. Um, I mean, Prometheus, a single Prometheus server can handle millions of time series. But, you know, if if you just overdo it a bit and you're not careful about what you stick into label values, then you're, you can really easily blow up a Prometheus server. And... Um, yeah, so so keep 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 those labeled dimensions to sane bounded things. So wow. you know you, you always have uh, Prometheus automatically attaches some of them anyways. So you get the name of the job, which is kind of the name of the service. It's just terminology, I guess. Um, the name of the service, which we call job, um, the host and port of the instance by default, and um, 
that already gives you some dimensionality, even if you don't have any labels on the on 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 the side of your service, right? So you at least get if you have a hundred instances, you get one hundred time series for this one metric, which could be the number of HTTP requests, and then you have to multiply that by all the other dimensions that you add, um, and that can easily end up for a single metric. You can easily get you know thousands or even ten thousands of of time series. Well, certainly lots of moving parts when we talk about Prometheus. So um, I'm going I'm to assume that based on this conversation, so many people are like, I want to try it out. I want to get started. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about just that. We'll be right back. I have yet to meet a single person who doesn't love DigitalOcean. If you've tried DigitalOcean, you know how awesome it is. And here at the changelog, everything we have runs on blazing fast SSD cloud servers from DigitalOcean. And I want you to use the code changelog when you sign up today to get a free month, run a server with one gig of RAM and 30 gigs of SSD drive space, totally for free on DigitalOcean. Use the code changelog. Again, that code is changelog. Use that when you sign up for a new account, head to digitalocean.com to sign up and tell them the changelog sent you. All right, we're back with uh, Julius Vols talking about Prometheus. Uh, and while we were on that break, we realized that getting started is a good step to to go towards next, but we forgot we want to kind of go back a little bit on this religious piece of push versus pull when it comes to Prometheus. So Julius, why don't you lead us through that, that piece there? Sure. Um, so this is funny because it's a bit of a religious thing. And uh, push can be, you know, pull can be sometimes better, sometimes push is better, depending on the type of environment you're using the Prometheus in. Um, but uh, one of our team members even wrote a blog post about push versus pull for monitoring. Um, he's, he's Brian from, from Dublin. And you can find that in our FAQ, actually. Um, uh, but I think some points are interesting. So if you do, so I, I think First, let's start with one advantage of push. Push is really easy to get through firewalls if your monitoring system is easily reachable from everywhere. You know, uh, you only need to make one point, one network point available on the internet or in your local, in, in your company's network or whatever. Um, and then everyone just needs to be able to push somehow to that. Um, with pull, sometimes people run into the into the problem that, let's say, you know, if they have setups where they need to pull from various endpoints on the internet and they should be secured and so on you know they have to have a bit more they need to now secure and make available n endpoints instead of one um so that's that's often what what uh, what pains people when when they can't use pull um but but for us especially in these kind of um modern web company environments where you have your own data centers or your own virtual private clouds and you have internally trusted environments where you can just pull from every target. Um, pull really has a number of advantages. So one thing that's really, really nice is that you can just manually go per HTTP to a target and get uh, the current state of the target. So by default, if you go to uh, an end, a Prometheus endpoint on a service, um, you will get a text-based format that will tell you the current state of all the metrics. And you don't even need a server for that. So that's one nice thing. Um, you can run a complete copy of production monitoring on your laptop or anywhere 
you can just bring up a second copy of all of it to to do experiments, to try out new alerting rules and so on. And that copy will get the exact same data as your production version of monitoring uh, without you having to configure the actual services to send data somewhere else. And um, we kind of argue that if you're doing service monitoring and alerting, you kind of need to know, your monitoring system kind of needs to know anyways where your services live. Uh, and which services should currently be there, because otherwise it can't really alert you about a target being down or, or so on, because it doesn't know if it should be gone, if it was deprovisioned, or you know if it is just crash looping, for example. So with that kind of argument, uh, the monitoring system should be knowing what your targets are anyways, so the knowledge is already there, so that also makes it easier to pull the data and makes it easier to tell in monitoring and alerting whether a target is currently down. And um, yeah, so we, 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 we don't think otherwise that it's like a huge issue whether you do push or pull, uh, especially in terms of scalability. It doesn't really matter that much. Um, but yeah, it kind of depends on, on, on your environment. I think there would be some scalability aspects of pulling as more, you had more services, more hosts. Um, I guess... You know, you had your stats D servers dropping UDP packets. It seems like cap, catching a UDP packet is a lot easier than going out and requesting data. Um, have you found in practice that that's just not a big issue? Yeah, so uh, that's actually an interesting point. So that's that's really not an issue at all. So the actual pulling side of things has never been a bottleneck for us. But it's also very important to point out here that the whole fundamental way of how data is transferred is quite different in the StatsD model to the Prometheus model. Uh, as I said earlier, in the StatsD model, you send UDP packets basically proportionally to the amount of user traffic you get, right? Like for every HTTP request or every 10th or so on, you send a UDP packet, please count this, please count this, please count this. Why don't you just increment a number in memory on the on, on your web server and then every 15 seconds or so uh, you know transfer the current counter state so that's prometheus's philosophy mm. um, the nice thing is there it uses way less traffic like orders of magnitude less traffic it uses less computation in the client especially if you have uh, services that you know do many thousands or even more requests per seconds. You, you might have some uh, multi-core high-performance rep routers which can do hundreds of thousands or, or more uh, requests. And um, there, you know, sending a UDP packet for every request would actually be quite prohibitive. And the other thing is that if these counter UDP packets in the StatsD world get lost, you just get a lower total request rate displayed in your monitoring system and you have no clue that these packets were actually lost. Um, with the Prometheus model, if a scrape fails one time, it doesn't really matter so much because let's say the next scrape works, you will still not lose any of these counter increments that have happened because they're tracked on the on the service side, right? In every instance, uh, these counters are just continuously incrementing from from the start of the instance. And every time I come, come by, I just see what's the current state. And um, that's also a very good argument for not doing any kind of rate pre-computation on the service side, but doing that on, on the Prometheus server side. So in your service, really just count things up. Don't expose rates, because let's say if you do expose rates... Um, 
you know, this is kind of a derivative of a counter. Um, then you might really, if you miss a, if you miss a scrape, then you might really miss a peak in a rate. And if you miss a scrape with a counter, you just get a bit less, a bit worse time resolution over that data, but you would never miss any increments of that counter in after that a while. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. That certainly makes sense that on the theory of why you go which path, because on one side you can lose data, on the other side you're just kind of missing some time. Exactly. Yeah. And I was actually interesting. Um, the way I fixed this whole StatsD dilemma um, before we had Prometheus in SoundCloud was actually quite similar to what Prometheus is doing now. So I actually put um, a local StatsD on every host where services were running and services were just sending local UDP packets to those StatsDs. And then these local StatsDs would pre-aggregate those counters over you know a half a second or so and then send that resulting counter to the global StatsD. So that's hmm. kind of similar. You're already kind of yeah. moving moving the aggregation to the individual hosts, but you're not having it in the same process. And Prometheus is even moving that into your process and into your memory space. And uh, yeah, you don't need to create a network packet just 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 to counter request or something else. Um, I don't know if that's interesting. Um, there are other types of metrics that Prometheus supports besides counters. So we have gauges. Um, maybe I should go into what these are, um, depending on, on where you want to go now. I think um, it would be awesome to go that much deeper, but I think mm-hmm. we're getting close to our time. So what I'd like okay. to do is um, is cap there. Maybe you mm-hmm. will re- write an awesome blog post and we'll dive deeper into that or something like that. Or maybe we can have you back on at some point. Um, but I think at this point, let's let's dive into getting started. So for those that are going to Prometheus and thinking like, man, this is really awesome. I want to check this out. Um, if you go into the documentation area, there's a getting started. I think that's actually what the button on the homepage takes you to. Is that right? The, the getting started button. Yes. takes you right there. So if you go to Prometheus.io and you click the button at the, on the homepage, which says get started, you actually get started, which is kind of nice, but you get this really awesome guide, a hello world style guide that sort of takes you through from zero to, to running a Prometheus server. So, what is it like to get started, I guess, maybe moving away from other monitoring services? Can you walk through some of the pains, potentially, or the, the process to get started with, with Prometheus? Sure. Um, I think one of the most consistent feedbacks we have gotten about Prometheus is how easy it is to get started. So that's actually quite nice. Um, the, the reason is that Prometheus is written mostly in Go. I mean, the server is written completely in Go. The, there are client libraries for different languages and so on. Um, but especially the server being written in Go uh, and Go producing, you know, statically compiled binaries that you can just deploy on a machine without having to think about, you know, runtimes or uh, shared libraries and so on. That makes it very easy to get started and deploy. Uh, we have uh, pre-built binaries that you can download for the major architectures. Um, it's also very easy with our makefile to uh, download all dependencies in a hermetically contained um, environment to to just start building go from head yourself or from some release version if you want to um, you need to create a configuration file there's one in the getting started guide here of course um, that's just one file you point to it and then by default prometheus will just store all your data in a local directory and um, yeah and it will just start scraping data so you can i mean it takes roughly if if you're fast, it takes maybe five minutes to get started. 
and then you have a running Prometheus server. Um, of course, for that to be interesting, uh, you need some example services that that you that you can scrape and so on. And there, of course, it depends a bit on on what you want to instrument. Um, Promdash um, is the one exception in the whole ecosystem which is not written in Go. <laughs> it's actually okay. it's actually a Rails application. Um, but it's really more of a light backend. I mean, the whole Rails backend really only stores uh, the dashboards as JSON blobs and could theoretically pretty easily be replaced by something else. Uh, all the logic is in the JavaScript front end. And um, yeah, but but we have Docker containers for everything as well, like for all the components. So if you really feel like, oh, I really don't want to set up Rails, you know, you just use the, the use the um, prom dash Docker container, and hopefully that will be less painful. Um, and let's see, yeah. But I mean, that's basically as easy as it is. You need you need to download the latest binary, unpack it, drop in a config file, and just started and it's running and is by default one of the default configuration files here is set up in such a way that prometheus collects data on its own metrics exposition endpoint so uh, prometheus instruments itself via one of the prometheus client libraries so you, it can monitor itself basically so that's a nice uh, use case to get started if you just want to look at some very simple prometheus metrics without having any services uh, another th thing that's really nice to get started with is because everyone has this is the node exporter which basically by the way has nothing to do with node.js <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a host what? so we um, so the node exporter is a host exporter. It exports, it exports host metrics. Um, and that's a really nice thing to get started with. Um, you just start it. You don't, I mean, you can set a lot of command line flags, but if you don't specify anything, by default, it will do the right thing. And you configure Prometheus to scrape that, uh, either statically or via some kind of service discovery. And um, yeah, and then you get host metrics about about either your local machine or, cool. or your data center machines and so on. That's pretty easy too. While we're talking about getting started, I gotta imagine that people are saying, okay, when I get started, I also want to have a community to sort of hang around. So you've got a Twitter handle, of course, you've got a mail mailing list, and then you've got IRC. Uh, so those are, those are three ways that people can hang out and sort of catch up. I was on the mailing list recently and just see that it's pretty lively and active. So um, when you're getting started, if you have any questions, then there's this mailing list to look at as well, which will link up in the show notes, of course. Mm -hmm. And definitely stop by the IRC channel. So we're there basically every day, very active. A lot of people are coming there asking questions and we're always super happy to answer. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the, the fastest channel to reach us. And the, the mailing list is good for uh, longer questions and more persistent communication. So it's Prometheus on Freenode and then... Uh Prometheus developers as a Google group, which we'll link out to, so you don't have to worry about trying to trying to say that URL. This that's not readable. That's <laughs> not that's not that's not pretty. Which URL? Cool. Uh, well, the Google group. It's ah. not quite as easy to. Yeah, you don't want to read that out in a podcast. No, no, that's that's boring. Changelog.com slash one sixty eight. You get there all you <laughs> the links. We even found that blog post of push versus pull that he referenced, so we'll have that in there as well. Yeah. Yep. Or just head over to Prometheus.io, click on the community tab, and you have all the channels there. That's true. And yeah, we're very, very happy about any contributors. And uh, I think um, 
who we could especially use because we're all back-end people is someone who really likes doing front-end stuff. Um, that's traditionally what's always lacking in these kind of infrastructure projects. That's um, a good segue there, Jared, to the call to arms mm -hmm. then. That's right. Sounds like one. Julius, if you were going to uh, request help or give a call to arms to the open source community, uh, would you say front-end developers is what we're after? What would you say to the open source community, how we can help you out? Yeah, in general, it would be great to have more front-end interested people in the uh, in the infrastructure world, right? And uh, that goes for Prometheus as well. Um, uh, we've been coding a lot of the, you know, PromDash is very front-endy and, and the graphing interface in Prometheus itself. But um, it would be really great to to get people who feel like really strongly about infrastructure and nice front ends, and help us, you know, refactor a lot of things there, uh, improve the UI, make it shiny. Um, that's definitely always very uh, a nice thing to have. But you know, any other kinds of contributions are great too. I think two of the areas that are currently um, still lacking and that will get the most kind of the most attention in the future uh, are the alert manager, which we are currently redesigning and uh, re-implementing over the next months to be more production ready and more powerful, uh, but also any some kind of long-term storage integration. So we have these ways of writing out data to currently OpenTSDB or InfluxDB, but it would be really great to have a full readback implementation where you can query the long-term storage through the Prometheus server again. And, you know, if either someone wants to implement that for an existing backend system or wants to even maybe create uh, a completely new Prometheus-specific long-term storage, that would be interesting as well. Um, but there's a lot of stuff to do. Maybe head to the different issue trackers on the various Prometheus um, GitHub projects, which are all under github.com slash Prometheus. And check out if there's anything that, that looks interesting to you. So there you have it. Sounds like lots of different ways to get involved. And while we're asking our closing questions, Julius, we would be remiss not to ask the one everybody loves, which is, who is your programming hero? <laughs> I hoped you would not ask that one. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, definitely Bjorn. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Bjorn, Bjorn is, uh, Bjorn is uh, my part, one of my partners in crime on, on Prometheus. We're quite a bunch now, actually. Um, also, actually, this is funny because um, we also hired an intern right now who, who we are going to transform to be a full-timer uh, at SoundCloud. And we found him through Prometheus contributions. And he's very young, like 23, and he outcodes he out me every day. You know, he's very... Very, very smart, and I actually wow. am every day astounded by the... What's the, his name? Uh, Fabian. And uh, yeah, I'm every day astounded by the quality and the quantity of his, of his uh, coding, but also of, of his uh, communication in the community. A really, really great person. Um, I guess more in, in terms of traditional programming heroes, I guess when I was a child, I really was like, had a bit of a coding crush on John Carmack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, with the, with the early id games in, in the mm -hmm. 90s, Doom and so on. Um, definitely in the Go community, uh, Rob Pike, and you probably have heard or even met on at GopherCon about uh, Dimitri Vyokov. From, mm -hmm. uh, he, he's from Google. He's not really on the Go team, but uh, he's on the Dynamic Tools team of Google, and but he has contributed so many 
awesome, awesome features to the Go runtime and, and tooling around that. The race detector, um, the new tracing framework, uh, this fuzzing framework that also just now found actually a bug in Prometheus's query language. Really great. Um, and a lot of these really hardcore tools for uh, getting you know, dynamic information about, about your code. Um, and he found hundreds of bugs with that. So I was really impressed when, when, when I heard about that. And he also gave a, gave a really great talk about that uh, at, at GopherCon that I can highly recommend. Yeah, that was another one I didn't mention at the top of the show. Uh, ben Johnson and his open source database stuff. And then Dimitri, and specifically his talk on uh, uh, like you just said, was one that everybody was kind of raving about as they came out of the conference room. So um, you're not the only one who yes. thinks he's pretty awesome. Yep. All right, Julius. Well, it was great having you on the show. Definitely um, something we've been wanting to get you on the show before to talk about Prometheus and everything it's doing and what you're all doing at SoundCloud. So definitely fun having you on the show today. Um, Want to thank our awesome sponsors for the show: CodeShip, TopTile, and DigitalOcean, making this show possible. Also, want to thank our awesome listeners and remind everyone that's uh, not a member yet that we are member supported. You can join the community and get access to the members only Slack channel as well as many other awesome benefits of supporting the ChangeLaw. Go to changelaw.com slash membership. And while you're there, you might as well sign up for ChangeLaw Weekly and ChangeLaw Nightly, which is our weekly and nightly emails, both respectively at slash weekly and slash nightly. Uh, Jared, what's the next week's show? We, we do have one show scheduled. What is that next week's show? You're putting me on the spot, man. Uh, I think it might be Ben Johnson. I know we got a couple databases. Yeah, I know he's coming up, Give me and then two uh, seconds. he's on August. He records on August fourteenth, uh, okay. so we'll have a show between him and now. But we don't know who it is. We, we don't know who it is. Okay, we're going to try and tease out what the next show is. But nonetheless, we have lots of awesome shows coming up soon. But until then, let's say goodbye. See ya. See ya. Thank you. <laughs>